you've landed on the Business Conservatory Podcast. This is a transparency-driven podcast helping you understand your unlimited earning potential. If you're ready to crush it with your business, let's go. Welcome, welcome everyone back to the Business Conservatory Podcast. Holy shit, today is a day that I have been waiting months for. Jazz, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for you to be here. Thank you for taking the time to let me interview you. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast so much. I feel like you honestly cover such interesting and nuanced topics rather than just like basic business. And I'm just honored to be a guest. So thank you. Thank you for those of you that are not following Jazz. Your life is about to be changed because she is one of the most influential people in all of TikTok. So for those of us that maybe don't know who you are, tell us what you do. Uh, Yeah, I'd love to. So I am a business and marketing coach. I really got started with coaching uh, business owners with how to use TikTok to generate sales for their coaching or service providing business. And it's just grown and expanded. And so I've grown past that to help with converting content on multiple platforms to consider Instagram. And now I'm at a point where I'm helping people grow their businesses after building my business to generate six figures in revenue in just six months. And now I'm expanding. So it's been a great ride. And TikTok was really the start of it all. Your journey is very different from what I notice a lot of professionals doing, which is like you you really started on a platform and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you started on a platform that not a lot of people get a head start in. And so what was your experience like starting on TikTok? Was it something that you just did for fun? Or did you kind of have a strategy behind it? Yeah, so my start on TikTok was for personal reasons before business became a part of it. I was creating content for fun in 2020, like a lot of people. And through the time of creating content for fun, I built a following of 50 to 70,000 followers. It's above oh that now. Gosh. And I was creating content around engineering and um, these various personal topics that I found humorous around like my Middle Eastern background. And then I had brands reaching out to me and it just kept growing. And then I realized that I had a passion and a gift for creating content and business owners started finding me. I started selling digital products and I just found the power of TikTok to be so fascinating with its reach and discoverability. And it just kept growing from there. What was your first video that you feel got you traction? (laughs) The first video was me making fun of the fact that women in engineering in the corporate environment will like always feel like they're being treated differently by the men who you typically work with. So it was some like seven second weird dancing video of me joking around how like you vibe with your male coworkers until the second you smell sexism and then the whole vibe <laughs> is ruined. It was something along those lines. A lot of people really hated it, but it took off and like that's that was my first viral video. Was that like weird for you to kind of get that onslaught of feedback both in the love and hate direction? Yeah, I think I didn't realize how much hate somebody could get from a simple (laughs) silly video about my own experience you know but it was a really great first like step into the world of going viral and I remember just kind of like having an itch to do it over and over again and through that time I was generating like a million views a month consistently on that (laughs) platform 
Oh yeah. my gosh. And I became known as like the engineering girly. And it's crazy because even people now, like my husband's mom's boyfriend, his kids follow me on TikTok and I had no idea. And when I met them for the first time, they're like, oh my God, I think I have like, we like share um, your videos with each other and like laugh about them because we, you know, we like are in engineering and we know you. And I'm like, what the hell? It's so <laughs> random. So <laughs> it's crazy. I feel like TikTok is another planet. And speaking as someone who knows my audience being largely on Instagram, it's always interesting to talk to people that get their start on TikTok because it's it's just such a different ball game than anything that you see on any other social media platform. So for all of the people that are maybe sketched out by TikTok, why do you think that it's important to be on TikTok in the first place? Yeah. It's one of those things where you're going to feel like you you miss the bandwagon like you do feel now on YouTube. Many people feel like, oh, I should have created content when YouTube was a thing. But I don't know if you remember, like, I remember when YouTube first came out, it being like all stupid videos. And I used to watch like people doing these random things for 10 seconds. And I thought it was hilarious. And that's how YouTube started. And it wasn't really taken as seriously. And um, now so many people regret not starting earlier because it was so much easier to grow back then. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly the same phase TikTok is in. I know people feel like it's been a few years, but it's only growing more and more. And uh, I think it's super important because I was talking about this with a friend the other day. She was saying how, you know, like the Sephora kids are like taking over how there's 10 year old Sephora right now. That's insane. She was like, it's a good thing because Sephora is like, you know, marketing to the next generation. And I think you have the power to do that on TikTok. So your business doesn't become dated and, uh, you know, kind of stuck in ancient times. (laughs) That's a good point. I didn't think I I saw everyone talking about like the 10 year olds at Sephora and stuff. And I never really like mentally connected the dots. But that's such a good point where it's just like. That is an age range that can now kind of be able to start being immersed in this side of social media, which is, it's early. (laughs) It's so early, but wow, that's such a good point. So let me ask you this. So what, in your experience, it sounds like you really got opened up to what was possible by first just being yourself and just being silly and what yeah. what does it mean in the current landscape of being a business owner as someone who knows that you need to generate money in order to get what you want? Like, what type of relationship should people be expecting on social media in terms of sharing their personal life versus just their business? Mm, that's a great question. I think personal brands in particular really struggle with this because they're supposed to be again, personal, whether they are an online coach or an online service provider, and they're selling their skills and abilities and themselves. And they struggle with how much do I share of the things outside of direct business? So that way I can build that connection. I honestly encourage people to share themselves in thoughtful ways that connect in indirect ways to like what they what they do still. I really feel like the times on TikTok where I've shared my engineering background or being a first generation American, so many people resonated with it past just strategy or past just um, my knowledge or the, the niche that I was in and the technical things. So I really encourage my clients to not only share those things, but also show their personality as much as possible 
a lot of people think on social media, there's like a one size fits all personality that everybody likes Mm -hmm. and you have to be loud or you have to be professional. But those things, when you can stand out from that noise are only going to help you grow and attract better people. So for the people that might be business owners that are feeling like they need to show up in a certain way, what is the best way when you know you've been operating on this kind of professional like facade this entire time? What would be the easiest way for someone to start integrating their personality on TikTok or on Instagram Reels in a way that will allow them to feel aligned but not like kind of just thrown to the wolves yeah yeah that's a good question too what i honestly encourage my clients to do is because a lot of them that are established business owners making like five or ten thousand dollar months they've done so because of their structure their strategy they probably script their content they have a method to the madness and the problem is though they get so far into the strategies and the logical scripting and all that stuff that they like lose their voice and so that's what that's going to get them past the five ten thousand dollar months is reintegrating that voice and kind of like realizing that they can just use the strategy like as a guide rather than like the only way to do something so Mm. i actually end up telling them to not script for a while and i'll urge them to create for like two or three weeks just unscripted content of them just talking and the way that it's not aimless is after they have a client conversation after they build something new for their business after they do Mm -hmm. something with their business and they feel in the flow or connected to their mission and their why then you go and film a tiktok then you go and film a piece of content because it'll still be Mm -hmm. inspired and it'll still be directed but you won't be tied to like a certain script that you wrote last week and then you feel like a robot reading it that's super interesting so it sounds like depending on where people are at in their journey you kind of seem to have this form and flow where you realize that a business will be in a different phase. And because of that phase, they might have a different need. And so someone who might have never have scripted anything and never has had a strategy could benefit from having a script in the sense of having some directionality, but then moving on once you've developed that comfort level, kind of letting your hair down, so to speak, and saying, okay, this is these are maybe t- general talking points versus like a word-for-word vernacular. Did I understand that right yeah i i totally agree with that synopsis because uh, again like i really believe the foundational things are people need the structure and the strategy to know where to go but after you start knowing where to go it's about mm-hmm. building self-trust and using your own voice and using the strategy more as like the back seat because you've learned it and you can probably do it on autopilot if you wanted to at that point but the harder thing is to show up vulnerably and show up as yourself And that's where like that work kicks in in that second phase. You strike me with this duality of being someone that has this free flowing personality, yet you are someone with incredibly high standards and someone that is an incredibly high achiever. I find that there are a lot of people that are incredibly high performing that are in this place where they struggle with paralysis of knowing where to start because they know that the outcome of what they want is like such a high standard. Then there's like kind of this, but what if it's not good enough? In the past, when I've talked to you, you'd mentioned high achievement being a big part of your life. So walk me through how being a high achiever, how you're able to get to where you're at now, where you can kind of free flow with your content. Yeah. So basically like how How do I balance being a high achiever, but not letting my perfectionism or Mm -hmm. high standards get in the way when I'm starting something new? 
that's something so many people struggle with is the people who are high achievers and have always been excellent in their the things that they did growing up, especially when it comes to school. Like school is very laid out on how to get the A, right? You know exactly mm-hmm. what to do. There's rubrics, there's steps, there's tests. And you know exactly what to do to achieve. And it's really similar in a corporate environment. But then high achievers struggle in business because there are no rules. There are no steps. It's up to you in figuring out how to get there. And you can have mentorship. You can have guidance. You can have strategy. But it's a lot messier. And it's a lot mm-hmm. more subjective. And when you look at like my history of being a high achiever, like I was always we've talked about this. I've always been at the top of my class. Right. And I was in like the top 1% of my state school and got a big scholarship. Like that's always where my mind was. I also had this innate gift for imperfect action. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it's just from like growing up in an immigrant family. And I had to figure out a lot of stuff for myself. Like I had to figure out how to apply to colleges myself. I had to figure out a lot for myself. And so that's probably where it came from. But I always like failed fast and failed hard. And it's a really hard balance of like, yes, I like to achieve high things and I have high standards, but I know that if I'm starting something new, that's an unrealistic expectation, you know? And the only way I'm going to have my high achievements in a new space is to go through the phase of sucking and failing and working my ass off for a while with no proof that it's going to work out. And I think that when people don't have that belief, the high achievement is actually like a barrier in success because they won't be able Mm -hmm. to try new things with confidence. When you are talking to someone who comes to you that is just like, you know, I'm really having a hard time navigating that sucking period. And like, how do I navigate kind of my sense of self? Because I don't want to suck and I don't want to be in that space of sucking. What do you tell someone that's in that space? Mm. This was actually something that a client was experiencing because she helps right now her her target audience is people in corporate that are burnt out and she wants to switch to help entrepreneurs who are burnt out but she's struggling because mm. she is like a high achieving person and shifting to a new niche is bringing a lot of like self-doubt you know because there are a lot of changes that she needs to make, make to her messaging to how she shows up and the thing that i did with her was I gave her the opportunity to like, this was like an interesting solution, but I basically gave her the opportunity to speak to my clients who are entrepreneurs about a particular thing. And she handled it so well. And she got to like dip her toe in into the new space with the new ideal client. And she killed it. And then I got to say, hey, look, you did the thing and you were really good at it. There might be some other things that are hard, but like you're really good at this one piece. And it's it motivated her to like explore it. So it really depends on the person and how much they suck at something or in what parts they suck <laughs> at it. But the ratio I, of suckage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like which area it is mm. that they suck at. I think a lot of it is just like working on my client's self-trust and self-belief because there are always going to be like changes you need to make in your business and there's going to be constant discomfort if you want to keep growing. And so it's a matter of like, turning towards the discomfort rather than like turning away from it and building the muscle of like self-trust. So Uh, you had mentioned, you know, being an immigrant and kind of the demands that that places on you to shift and show up for yourself in a different way that many of us maybe haven't experienced. And so 
what was the first time that you really had to develop trust with yourself in that capacity? Yeah, that brings me back. The first thing I could think of is I remember I, I was going through the college application process and I realized that all of my peers had a leg up because they had parents that went to Ivy League schools and they had connections at various universities and they had older siblings who could walk them through the application process. And I was figuring it out all for myself because I was the oldest child. And again, my parents were from the Middle East and they had no idea how that stuff worked. And so I was like, okay, something needs to change. I can't figure it out all myself. And so I had asked my parents to find me somebody that I could connect with. And so they found like a a college application coach that was going to help me a little bit with the process. And so during that time, we were identifying schools. I was taking the SAT. And I remember I took the SAT like three times and I got like an average score. And it was a lot lower compared to like what we expected because my grades were so high. And so I was like, I'm going to take it again. Yeah. Or I'm going to take the, the standardized test again. I'm going to take the ACT test again. And that college coach was like, you have to just accept that this is where you're at. Like that's, this is, you've done it three times. Like this is the best it's going to get. We need to move on. Oh my on. gosh. And I understand that she was trying to be real with me, but I didn't accept that as an answer. And so I listened to my intuition and I built my self-trust by saying, no, I'm going to take this again. And I ended up scoring way better. I got an actually like the 99th percentile that time. Excuse and I don't know me? if greatness. I don't know if it was just me trying to prove it wrong or what, but I think it just like really built that self-trust muscle that like even if somebody who is literally an expert in something and is paid to give advice in a particular area tells you a certain thing, if you have your gut instinct and intuition and you listen to it, you build that self-trust muscle so much that like you'll be unstoppable. So that's what comes to my mind. (laughs) You know, it's, I feel so both simultaneously seen and called out because when I took the ACT, I had to retake it. Not because I was brilliant, for the opposite reason, because I just didn't get good grades at all. And I was like, I'm going to retake it and it's going to be better. And I got the same. So I don't know where I was going with that, but I'm just like, I'm so happy that it worked out for you in the sense that you were able to like see a potential opportunity and it can be something as simple in my experience as just seeing the potential of opportunity there, even if it's like, you know, I don't really know how this is going to go out, but like I could see this possibly favoring in a positive direction for me. And it's okay to lean in with that. And if that's yeah. the only thing, and it sounds like you went from like, there's a possibility to I'm making this like an active reality. And that had to be super crazy when you got the score back where you were just yeah. like, yes. <laughs> I remember the moment because I was like so crazy attached to like my grades and being like right a high achiever. And so I remember whenever the scores were going to come out, I was like set an alarm. I was always I always slept late. I was a night owl and I set an alarm to wake up super freaking early. And I remember laying in my bed, the the bed that I had in high school, and I turned over and I opened my phone and I opened it and I was like, yeah, fuck you to to the lady. That was the first thing that I thought of. And I told my mom, I was like, I don't want to interact with her anymore because she's holding me back and I don't want to have limiting belief. And so, uh, yeah, honestly, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have gotten the scholarship or gone to the university where I met my husband and all the things that happened afterwards. So I'm really entire life wrote on that. (laughs) It really did. If you think about it, it's pretty crazy. So I'm grateful that I listened to myself and that it just built that self-trust so much more. That's super important in business when you're an entrepreneur relying on yourself. How 
much of a factor is it that self-trust element with the current stage in your business right now? Because you've practiced self-trust quite a bit in the sense of like, you know, it got you into the college that you wanted. You know, it maybe got you to the place where you got your first job. It got you to the place where, you know, you decided to pursue this. So now that you're kind of in this space where you've reached, you know, what I see as like massive success, how much is that self-trust like still a factor in your life? It's huge. I still see ways that it could be improved. I don't think there's a person that like only like trusts themselves in the best 100% optimized way Mm -hmm. possible. Like there's always room for growth in that area. And so I'm constantly challenging it. And the various ways that I think it showed up is like the times where people had told me to make certain decisions in my business, like hire a junior coach to like interact with my clients. And I realized I don't want to do that. Like I want to be the person interacting with my clients. Like you're always in entrepreneurship, you Mm -hmm. get a lot of advice and a lot of people are doing things a lot of different ways. And you can really get in your head if you don't have that self-trust muscle, because you'll just always be thinking that somebody else knows better instead of trusting that you know the best, you know? And even if what you know is listening to a particular person or particular mentor, that's great. But you need to also know that in your heart and in your gut, you have a certain level of instinct and intuition. And every time that you don't honor that, when you take an unaligned client, the times that I've done that and I didn't listen to my gut, that bit me in the ass so much that I started realizing the different areas that I could build that more. So I honestly, I feel like it shows up in nearly every single decision and step that I have made in my business. And a lot of people don't realize the factors that rely on it. We get these infinite amounts of feedback. And in your case, a lot of those feedback points came from what seemed to be mentors or people like in a position where they had opinions about certain things. And there's so many times where you get feedback from objectively what the peanut gallery, like that, you know, (laughs) so it can be, it's so impressive to see how you've built this like really strong muscle of self-trust. Now to kind of flip this script on you, knowing that you have this self-trust, I'm going to kind of turn the tables a little bit to, it sounds like you have a lot of conversations with people that really help you move the needle forward in one way or another. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Hmm. Um, I think the best piece of advice was when someone told me that other people's money is none of your business. I was struggling a lot mentally with sales and it was a huge thing where I would show up and like be worried if somebody could afford something. Yeah. And I made their financial situation my business and my problem and my concern. But when I was told that other people's money is not my business and people could be nepo babies or sugar have sugar daddies <laughs> or have like yes, a secret please. trust fund right <laughs> like you never know right then i started seeing sales so differently i think i started realizing too that a lot of people uh, underestimate my buying power because of my age and my gender and where i've been i know like i just bought a car and when i went to go buy it from the dealer they were like confused why I'm buying this pretty expensive car. And they're like, I've never seen somebody so excited to buy something so expensive. And like, you're young. And like, it was just a weird, weird energy. So I'm always ex- excited to buy expensive stuff. 
right <laughs> me too i'm like i'm buying my dream car never Damn, not like, yeah um so i i think i just realized that like i don't like when people make my money situation their business like why would i do it to somebody else and so some people's sales process involves like asking people what's your budget and like how much money do you make and like all of these things and they will like coach them through how to make the money to invest with them and mm -hmm. i just find that super uncomfortable and so when somebody told me like make other people's money not your business and their business and they'll figure it out if they want to and it's not your mm -hmm. it's not your job to figure out where they get the money from it really helped my understanding and my relationship with money and sales so i think that concept is super interesting because not making money your business is what so many of us do where we like we get like a lead or we get like an inquiry or like someone reaches out to work with us and we find ourselves rationalizing like well you know I don't know like if they'll do it if I charge what I'm supposed to charge or what I want to charge so like how can I make it so that way I get it and it's almost this like weird battle internally and it sounds like for you there was a period of time where you would be getting a lot of leads and you kind of had that internal self-rationalization could you give us an example of like what that looked like for you. The thing that comes up is I remember my first $10,000 client that I signed. She found me on TikTok and she messaged me on TikTok. Like who in the hell uses TikTok Messenger? No one. <laughs> no one uses it. <laughs> me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say damn. But um, yeah, nobody really uses it for serious communication. And she messaged me saying, do you do XYZ offer? And like, can we chat? And I thought it was like, a spam message at first. He was actually like a very like large public figure. But then I looked at her TikTok and her views were not all there. And I wasn't sure if she was a real person. And right. I remember being like, what in the world? Um, but then I was just like, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to like respect that this person is reaching out to me, even if it's in a strange way. And she ended up being my first $10,000 client. So I think a lot of people will just like judge a certain mm. lead because maybe on the inquiry form, they put like two words or maybe their social media doesn't seem like very built up. But sometimes like you don't have enough information to make that call or that judgment. And it's best to just like see it through, meet with the person or ask into like great questions. Yeah. And then if they are a good fit from your discernment in that conversation, leave them with the decision of if the money is workable for them. That reminds me of a piece of advice that I was given. Gosh, I feel old. <laughs> it's like it was like at least like 6 years ago, but it was something to the effect of in those interactions when you're the client that's actively doing the investing and paying the you know, a thousand, the 2000, the 10 grand, whatever it is, how much of a privilege and how much of like a breakthrough it is for you as the consumer to commit in that way and it really just feels like you're pouring back into yourself and pouring back into your cup. And so there's this like weird dynamic where it's just like, yes, you're having a dialogue between two people in, you know, in a transactionary sort of way, but it really like comes down to that person and kind of do they want to invest in themselves in that capacity and giving them the privilege and the opportunity to do that. So I think it's interesting hearing the advice that you were given and how that kind of connects in the sense of like, what are the ways that some of our assumptions and our current judgments of other people holding us back from creating these enriching experiences, not only for us, but for them. So thank you so much for sharing that because that just really hit with me and it hit different. But 
you know, I wanted to kind of talk to you because one of the things that I saw that really stood out to me was you have a presence when you're talking in front of the camera. And it really strikes me that you are able to just literally talk about anything, whether it's like a personal life thing or a business thing. And so my question to you is, you know, when you are trying to dictate how much you post personally versus how much you post like on your business, how much or what percentage of your brand that you share on TikTok is personal life stuff and how much of it is business stuff? Yeah. So the way that I see TikTok is nearly 100% is business content. And the reason why is because I see it as like the outreach platform that it is. Mm -hmm. And so nearly every single post is directly or indirectly related to my business. I never post anything that's 100% personal on there because I am trying to attract business owners. And so I use that as like a filtering and targeting tactic. Mm -hmm. Whoever it's going to hit, I want to make sure it's the right audience. And then on Instagram, I share a lot of personal stuff on my stories typically. And I would say like mm -hmm. the personal versus business on my stories is anywhere from 25 to 50% personal, depending on the week. And then in my feed as well, I try to be even more thoughtful, sharing a little bit more personal stuff too. But mm -hmm. with the business content on TikTok, going back to that, I still will like link it to a personal aspect of myself. It's just that it's not mm -hmm. ever like not business content. So if I'm talking about something with content strategy and then I'll reference a story of my career in engineering, but that's a personal note about me. It's still like thoughtful, but a mix of both, if that makes sense. Yeah. You never really know because as the consumer, you kind of don't have the context of how it all fits in the bigger picture. And I find that in 2024, context has become the word of the year for me in the sense that like you have the opportunity to share the business stuff and share the personal stuff, but in how you choose to contextualize it, it can like all kind of compound into this great big personal brand that people can see you not only as this like robust business owner, but like this, this human, like this, mm -hmm. this real like person that has genuine interest. I remember I saw like a, I don't know why this one popped in my head, but I saw a video that you did where you were talking about how like Chipotle never saves well, like after a day and the food just tastes bad, like the next <laughs> day or something. And I personally just like really related to it. And so what I think you do really well that I think everyone listening should take notes on is like, know that when jazz is telling you it all connects it does connect and as you're looking through the videos it's it's really cool to like kind of have the wheels turning and being like okay what it, what was she going for here and like how does this connect to the bigger picture and i remember i made a post on my tiktok inspired by something that you did and it was it was just really freeing for me to kind of like share that aspect that i normally would have gatekept myself from doing because i was like well that isn't business i shouldn't share it but like the two can just totally be one and the same Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that video, I think actually was on my personal TikTok. I think you follow my personal one about the Kava, oh, but it absolutely could be shared on my business one if I wanted. So that's so funny that you saw that. <laughs> I can never forget it. But I feel like it's just one of those things where when I started my business a few years ago, it wouldn't have ever been within the realm of possibility to integrate the two mm. and like allow it to kind of like co-convince because you kind of almost had to like fall under this like professional, I don't know why I'm blurring, this professional <laughs> facade 
of just like showing yourself in a like very polished way. And I would say that when I first started getting into social media, it was all mystery marketing. Mm -hmm. And like, it was all kind of like weird attraction tactics of like, you know, if you're interested, you know, click here. Like it was very like, very That is what it used to be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool seeing you pioneer this part of the marketing space where you're able to just like give people permission to just share every aspect of themselves. And so is there an example where you've seen someone have a transformation where maybe they didn't originally feel like they could share anything and now they feel more comfortable sharing their business? Yeah, this brings up so much for me because I feel like the reason why I talk about integrating yourself with your business and your content so much is because of like what you said of the mystery marketing that has kind of been at the forefront of social media for a few years. I feel like a lot of people are getting exhausted by feeling like everybody is doing these weird content tactics to generate interest and trying to seem super professional and polished and put on a performance and then you like get into their space as a client and you realize it's not all what it seemed on social media and you feel duped, right? Because right. whether it whether it's a bad or a good realization, whether you realize they're more funny than they seemed on social media, whether you realize that they're more human than they seemed on social media, you still feel like there's a disconnect and there's like a unequivalence with inequivalence with what you've seen on in their marketing. Mm. And I feel like people, what I genuinely have seen from like a consumer standpoint is people are getting exhausted by that uh, professionalism type of content because every business coach, every like online service provider looks and seems the same, but then like they know when they've invested, it's not really the case. So like, how can we be more transparent so that way, you know, like who's your right person. Right. And so from like a client story perspective, I know one of my clients was in the industry of talking about relationship coaching and he wanted to make it seem like, you know, he had all the answers and that he knew everything in the, in the, in the space. Right. And we really had to work on him talking about the hardships he's had in his breakups and going through some really massive difficulties in the past with his relationships and being real about that. And even sharing that he had written some romance novels in the past and nobody knew about it. And that's like a, a piece that actually will a lot of people who are looking for relationship relationship coach would respect. So um, all of those things made him realize how he's different. And he, his lead flow had, uh, I don't know, his income had like five to 10 X because of those changes, because people started realizing he's human, he's real, he's different than all the other people that I'm seeing. And he probably felt like those things, and you can tell me if I'm incorrect on that. I'm just making an assumption based on the few things that you said. Like, I imagine that he was like, if I share this, my credibility is doomed and no one will respect me. It was that like, yeah, that's so interesting to me because it's just like, what are we all currently doing? That is literally exactly what people need to hear Mm -hmm. that we're like, oh, we can't. We can't do that. I recently decided that I wanted to start talking about my plastic surgery journey, which is something that like is so ripe for judgment and discussion and stuff. But like, I was just like, this is not only a part of my journey, but this is something that like I know many people are curious about and kind of maybe have envisioned utilizing some of the money they get for themselves. And so it's just 
very interesting how like a lot of the things that we think that we can't share, that might be the thing that makes you the most lovable, the most relatable and aligned with the people that are most excited about working with you. Yeah, I I actually was reflecting as you were saying that on where my belief around like sharing your challenges comes from. And one of the things was just like my experience in engineering and realizing that my superpower was being super not like creative and human Uh, in engineering a lot of people are very logical and like structured Mm -hmm. and they want to showcase their intelligence but like we're all here because we're intelligent so I realized like being funny was like a huge part of why I got jobs was because I was funny and that's so funny because my job was like literally working on like defense weapons you don't need to be funny to be like protecting our country and building weapons right but I got ahead because I realized that my difference and how I, yeah. and how I was different and what other people may seem as a weakness in a really intellectual role was my sense of humor. And I used it in presentations and I used it in interviews. And I was always seen as like a very ambitious and like high leadership person, even though I wasn't more intelligent than the people around me. I was probably less compared to like the people in my space. But it was just like the thing that I knew how to differentiate myself using. And then I honestly realized it was partially from you too, Ellie. Like uh, you had showed me how to, in oh. our conversation, a conversation we had, I remember. I'm dying. <laughs> You're so nice. Honestly, <laughs> I remember I remember we had a conversation and you were like, sharing your past struggles shows people that you understand where they're at. And we had a whole conversation when I was telling you the different things that I had struggled with in my business that a, cur- a certain client could relate to. And that opened my eyes too of how important it is. So I think both of those things were really instrumental in that realization. I'm astral projecting right now. I've (laughs) I've simply left the building. Well, that's really kind of you to reference that breakthrough that you have. And now that I'm kind of thinking, my brain just went like into full life, like churn (laughs) mode as you were saying this, but it brings up a really interesting topic that I could literally just spend hours talking just about what you just said, which is like the idea that like part of what makes you relatable is like the fact that most of the time we've been exactly where our current customers are at and are struggling with. And that's not always the case. And it's not usually like always a one-to-one comparison, but even if it's like in one way, we, we find that we relate to them so much more than we think. And it's really cool that you are able to fit that in in a way where you could share this other side of yourself that maybe you might not have originally thought to do that. I know that when I think about where I got to be with business strategy and kind of all of that, when you're in this place where you're like, quote unquote, winning, you never want to go back to what it felt like yeah. in that moment. Like, it's just like, like, I don't want to remember the time where I was a loser and like, I, I shouldn't say a loser. I don't want to remember the time where like I felt bad about myself and felt like I didn't know where my next dollar was coming from. To me, that was a painful reality and a painful part of my life. And so when you're sharing this and when you're like kind of going back and thinking about your past struggles, it has probably allowed you to cultivate like a lot deeper relationships with people just simply saying, I know where you are versus like, I've already solved the problem and here you go kind of thing. And so how do you say now that you have managed to 
kind of go forth helping people? And what balance do you strike with kind of being the expert and also being the relatable person? Yeah. Oh God. I have like five different things I would want to say about that. Cause I agree. I could talk about this forever. The, the first thing that comes up, I don't know if this answers your question, but I'll get to, to answering the yeah. question too, is I know when I've talked about past struggles, the, I did feel like, oh, it's ho- so hard to go back to that. Also, because I realize when I talk about past struggles and invites questions for it, and then mm-hmm. I have to potentially go into areas of that story that I didn't initially talk about and are harder for me to talk about, right? So like, I remember I was sharing on my Instagram stories about how I had a failed launch on my group program and somebody asked me a follow-up question. Like a client was like, oh, that was so interesting because I'm experiencing the same thing. And she saw herself in the story, which was great. But then she asked me follow-up questions and it was so painful for me to answer, not because she did anything wrong, but just Mm -hmm. like revisiting that memory was hard because it is like exactly what you said. It's hard to go, go back to that moment where you weren't you didn't have it figured out. And I think the the way that the other thing I will say too is like if you are trying to connect more with your clients and showcase that you understand where they've been at, you it doesn't have to be like you said a one to one ratio. I think the more important thing is thinking about the feelings you felt. So, even if they're in a different niche or have a completely different business, think about the time where you felt like you failed. Think about the time where you felt like you were overwhelmed. And the story might be different, the context might be different, but the feeling might be the same. And mm-hmm. I think when you could talk about those feelings rather than just always thinking it has to be exact situations, people can find you a lot more empathetic and like you really mm-hmm. get them. And the way to do that without sacrificing your authority or your leadership too is by telling the stories, I think, after they've passed. I think sometimes people will like tell the, the struggle in the moment. And I think that's where you can sometimes compromise your authority because you're talking about a struggle before you've solved it. But if you can Ooh, talk about it in retrospect, smart. then I don't think it sacrifices authority at all. I think that's just when you've you've gone through it, you've figured it out, you know what you felt and how you got through it, and then you can shed wisdom on somebody else. And I don't think that ever really sacrifices authority. Oh, wait. Okay. That's really cool, though, because... That answered a thought that I didn't even know that I had, which is just like for for people that know that they're like wanting to be relatable and knowing that they want to be like real and honest and stuff, you know, when's the point that you share that brilliantly said, um, oh, I couldn't have even asked a good enough question to do that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just like, no, it's okay. That was so good. That was the end of my thought anyway. So I'm happy that that resonated because I, I have people who tell me. I don't want to lose my credibility by sharing a struggle. And I'm like, well, if I was looking for a fitness coach, for instance, I would rather go to the person if I was trying to lose weight who's lost 50 pounds and was born short. Right. right? Like that's the person that's going to get you. That's going to know the mental state you're in. That's going to be able to coach you through the mental battles because even just the logistics are not enough for anything. You have to also be there mentally and have somebody who can push you through the hard moments, right? And I often remind them, like be that person for other people, but also like make sure you went through the phase first and the hard time first before you share it, because otherwise you're bringing up a problem without a solution and leaders don't typically do that. So getting all hot and bothered by that. That (laughs) was so good. Thank you. Well, and, and plus too, I, I think that many of us are just eager to be on the other side of it. And so I would imagine that like maybe some of that urgency and sense of like, well, if I share this now, like 
maybe there's kind of this like, I can't wait to be over it. And like by sharing it, like I kind of am like getting getting it off of like the plate and off the feeling and stuff. And I remember when I first started doing business strategy, one of the things that I was noticing was that my content wasn't hitting the way that I wanted it to. Like I would post stuff and I would be doing like stuff on Instagram and like, you know, just constantly sharing stuff and no one was ever responding. And so I was just kind of like, you know, okay, why is that? And I realized that this very thing was what was missing in the sense that like, I never was talking about knowing what it felt like to be in their Mm -hmm. position I was just like don't worry I got it I solved the problem like yeah (laughs) we're good um and it was it was crazy to where like I had to be amongst the people and I had to be actively having conversations with people that were in that position so like you know if you're someone maybe who's let's just say like a wedding photographer who is like trying to connect with people that don't know what it's like to you know feel comfortable being photographed you know, then talking to someone that is actively experienced that and that nervous energy can really help you transform your content in a way to where not only are you saying what they need to hear, but you're saying it in a way that they're like, that, that like is exactly how I said it. Like, I remember having that thought. Um, and so I love that you brought that up because that was such a pivotal moment for me where I went from having content that like kind of was just below mid to like actively having people be like, that's, that's exactly what I'm feeling. How did you read my mind? And so God, that's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I think you do a fantastic job with it. And um, it shows in the fact that even if you get like 200 views on something, like you manage to convert people because you understand how to like speak to them because you understand how to use your past experience to show like empathy and understanding. And it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to do that. And I think that's why some people struggle too, is because emotional intelligence and communication are muscles that need to be built and learned. And so um, it could be harder for some people to go back to a, a memory and even know what they felt in the first place. Because I remember mm. I took a I took a project management course um, when I was getting my master's. And it was one of the best courses I'd ever taken because a lot of it was around emotional intelligence and how to lead people. And um, one of the the professor that I had at the time had us take a quiz as a as a as a cor- as a class, and there was 200 people in my class. This is an Ivy League school, so like you're thinking the smartest people. I'm thinking in the room, and probably only like half or less had ever thought about what they feel in a moment. None half Whoa. of the class have never thought about what emotion they felt in in the moment. And so I had it blew my mind because I'm always thinking about what I'm feeling, but there's so Same. many people, <laughs> right? It's just like the the Pisces, whatever energy I feel like in me, I'm like so like emotional and I know what I'm feeling all the time. But some people don't even ask themselves, like, what am I feeling right now? And that's not a thought that they have. And so it could be a struggle for a lot of people to get to that point. And it's a lot of like personal development that needs to happen too. It's not just strategy. So did you find that, and maybe you already answered this, you said, you know, being a Pisces, like it's, it's something where feeling your feelings is something you kind of readily have access to, but like in terms of utilizing it in a business sense, do you still find that utilizing your emotional skills contributes to your business currently? And oh, in yeah. so what way? A hundred percent. I have debated turning this into some kind of program because 
I think it's the most slept on thing when it comes to being a, being an effective coach and leader is building the emotional intelligence and the empathy and the communication skills and knowing how to connect with your clients on an emotional level. Like it's just so important for building client relationships, feeling really good in your business and having like bigger impact on your clients' results. And so the ways that I've, I use my emotional side on a daily basis is realizing most of my clients' questions are seem strategy at the surface, but have mm. some emotional aspects deeper than that. And I have to honestly like bring that out of them, not in terms of like a therapeutic way, but just like being real of like, okay, you're asking me about an Instagram story strategy, right? Um, we've gone through the various things that you need to post. You actually had had some great ideas when we were on the call. Like when you go to execute now, those ideas that we t- chatted about and you try to put them into fruition, like what comes up for you? And they were like, Mm. oh, well, that one idea, I started creating it and I felt stupid talking about it. Okay, why did you feel stupid? Well, because I'm talking about a failed experience, you know, and that's hard. So then we're in a different conversation now. It's not Instagram story strategy. So a lot of the emotional intelligence is what allows me to have like great client retention and great client relationships and even just like fantastic conversations because we're able to get past what seems like strategic or surface level questions. And mm. sometimes those questions, coach, a coach would be like, you're complaining. We, t- we I gave you the strategy, like, just go do it. But it's a lot deeper than that. And so I just feel like that muscle and being able to use it every day unveils a lot of things that my clients are going through on a deeper level and allows them to take bigger action because they see the problem for what it really is. Mm. And that's where you have like a lot of the breakthrough I imagine is just like what everything, what everyone's experiencing is like on the surface and then everything is kind of just underneath like what, what the real thing is. And that's, that's always an area that I've always been like, honestly, a little afraid to touch because I find that like, particularly in the coaching space, I see a lot of coaches talk about helping people through that, but maybe like aren't necessarily emotionally responsible enough, or maybe don't have the credibility to really navigate those conversations in a way that like is with enough care. And so I, you know, while I have this like healthy respect and fear for it, I have to say like knowing you and knowing you on a personal level, it's been a privilege to see how you've been able to apply that in action and help people like really open up and solve these, you know, problems that, you know, they might currently just like you're saying be talking about Instagram stories, but really what they're, you know, uncovering is these fears that have been dormant for like 10 years and it's just really a privilege to see you be able to do that in action and help people overcome it. So I've I've tremendous respect for how you handle that with such care. I appreciate that. Um I feel like sometimes people think that it's some like woo woo or like uh, therapy or um, like you need a I don't know NLP person or a hypnotherapist to, like get through your fears but sometimes it's just like having a real conversation and somebody telling you like you are good at what you do and getting that little bit of validation along mm-hmm. with the strategic ways to implement right like here's the structure oh you gave me that great content idea in that conversation I think that's a fantastic idea you should absolutely post it right like it doesn't need to be anything like mind bending or super like fluffy. It's a mix of okay, mm-hmm. let's be strategic, let's be intentional, let's 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 talk about what's coming up for you and let me show you how 
that feeling is not entirely accurate and what's really going on and being real with the person. So, um, yeah, it's a mix of all of that together. (laughs) I think you're right too. And I think you were on the money too, by saying that like most of the time those get lumped into those categories. And I see that happen a lot. Um, let me ask you this. So when it comes to working with your clients, is there something that you find big picture repeatedly a problem or like something that you observe is like very prominent now that people should be aware of as they're kind of navigating their business? Like a theme from the in general or like a specific area, like the emotional area? I think either way, I was leaving it kind of open. So if there's anything that you've noticed that's a common thread between people that you've talked to or big picture things that have caught your eye. Yeah, I think there's two things that I'm currently seeing as a trend right now, especially with my higher level clients is a couple of them are undergoing a big change in their business because usually as you grow, you don't stick to the same personal brand or niche or target audience, you grow and you change and you have to change your personal brand to reflect that growth. And it could be really hard. And I'm seeing that this typically happens after a client like builds confidence around their business, they start hitting five figure months. And then they realize, wait, I'm not doing 100% what I want to do. Like I secretly have this gnawing feeling that I want to speak to this other group. And they struggle with the transition because at that point their content mm. has been focused on something different. Their message has been slightly different. Their, their right. marketing has been slightly different. They have to change like who they're speaking to. And even those slight changes could be overwhelming because they're so used to like a specific idea or message that they know converts their audience. And that has to change a little bit. And that could be scary. And they are afraid to make the change usually because of self-doubt. Like usually all of the problems yeah. come down in in business to self-doubt. And so that's like a huge thing I'm seeing right now is um, when you're a personal brand and you build a reputation, many of these clients actually have very large audiences. How am I going to change now that I've built this reputation mm. and this business? And how do I do it in a way that is not like 100% abandoning what's made me money before, but doesn't isn't like out of fear as well because sometimes they'll backtrack out of fear or they'll try to do like a mix of things because they're afraid and it's a really interesting conversation and place to be in i've noticed so many people say that same thing too so i think it's interesting that you nodded to that because when i think about all of the people that i have conversations with that is precisely that like pivotal moment so i think you absolutely nailed it and so for those people that you notice that are currently going through that you know, what would be the main piece of advice that you would give them to help them overcome that? Ooh, Um, the first thing would be to go all in on the idea that is gnawing at you and make the change. You know what all in means to you, whether it's shifting your content starting today or shifting your offers to the new people starting as soon as possible. You know the changes you have to make, and usually it's just the barrier is the fear rather than how to do it because you already know how to build a business. You've been doing it. Right. You know, you've gotten to this point because you know how business works. It's more of um, 
going all in and overcoming the fear and discomfort and taking imperfect action. So maybe you don't know how to speak to your new people yet. Um, maybe you don't know exactly like um, what what's going to get them warmed up to the new ideas that you have, right? Whatever the changes are you want to make. I think the biggest thing I could say too is to give yourself grace and patience during this period. Um, and it's okay if during this period you have like your lowest income months because you are warming up a new audience. You, you yourself are right. going through big changes. And I think that if you're hitting lower income months, it's actually a sign that you're being brave and you are doing the right things because you're leaning into the new the new idea that you want to create without the proof that it's going to work out just like you did at the start of your business. So being patient and giving yourself grace and having faith in the outcome, just like you did when you were making no money and you got to where you are now. Oof. That, uh, that makes, I have a specific person in the back of my head that like, as you were talking that I could literally envision like her in the room, like listening to that and her like brain just exploding. And so when you're, when you're setting the expectation for these clients within this transition period, you know, what would you feel like is a realistic time frame of them to be kind of tolerating those kind of like down months before they start to really see the fruit of their labor? Yeah. So I think it's different because one client of mine, they're talking to a completely different person. Like they have to basically start from zero again. Whereas another one is making like a tweak. And the the new audience is mm. in the same realm or could be like included in their current audience. So it's massively different changes. One person has to create entirely new offers. The other one just has to tweak some of their messaging and tweak um, a little bit of their current offers. Not yeah. even that much. And so for both of these people, it's a lot different. Yeah. Um, I would say like probably one to three months is a good amount of time to expect depending on what level of change you have to make. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's so helpful too, because what I've noticed is that when we're all navigating this business, the strategy looks like you said, it looks so different, but it's hard for, for so many business owners to like understand and navigate the expectations of like, am I just like screwing up? Like, do I need to like abandon ship? Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. Idea. So that's so helpful to get like kind of your experience too on that because it, like from from what I've seen, you've been able to really like hold so many people's hands just like thoughtfully and gently as they're navigating this transition, but see them like also encounter the winds of like what it's like to be on the other side. And that has to just be so mega fulfilling um, to see. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, you just blew my mind like 27 times in this chat. <laughs> I wanted to just thank you so much for your time today and letting me just like harass you with all these questions <laughs> no it's been a pleasure i love our conversations and it's just been great to get together and do this so i appreciate yes. the invitation absolutely well for everyone listening you have just tuned into the business conservatory we'll see you next time bye bye